Welcome to another episode of the Bear Physique Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Remini. On the podcast, we have Dr. Samantha Ray, better known as Dr. Sam. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sam. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, stoked to have you. Stoked. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast on the territories of the Tlam and Colmax Clehus and Homoko First Nations, who are one First Nation before, or one, not the word First Nation, who are one community before uh, we white settlers came in and separated them into reserves. Dr. Sam, recently I kind of found you as, I mean, you've got a, um, uh, an amazing uh, uh, presence on social media, get, getting the word out of, about a lot of the stuff you're doing. And, and I found you uh, through my, a lot of my work is in the, in, in, it's kind of in the autism space and, mm-hmm. um, and somehow maybe through connections, um, um, your account appeared and, and you, and I understand you kind of a recent diagnosis, but you've been talking about sort of, um, you know, accommodations in the workplace related to kind of neurodiversity. Um, um, I think a lot of them kind of related to just kind of how you, as you're sort of on your journey of sort of learning about your own kind of uh, neurodivergent identities, and we'll probably talk, uh, chime in a bit on those terms themselves, um, and kind of how you're sort of um, setting up your own, I guess, um, you know, work, work, life space um, to, to kind of make that work. Before we get into that, maybe we can just kind of get a, a bit about a bit, a bit of history. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, what's your story? Who is Dr. Sam? <laughs> yes, I'd love to share a little bit about myself. So I always start off and tell people that I am originally from Jamaica because I'm very, very proud of that. Though so I am born and partially raised in Montego Bay, Jamaica. I also grew up in the Bronx in New York. So after oh. around like 10, my family migrated to New York and I grew up there. Mm. So I'm also a proud person from New York as well. Um, I can do a little bit of uh, professional stuff first and sure. take you through my my experiences and my background. So first I started off in the biomedical field. I got my undergraduate degree in biology because I thought I was going to med school and I really wanted to be an OBGYN, but I mm. I quickly realized that I'm a systemic and systematic type of person. So I like systems to be mm. changed and improved. Yeah. And as a doctor, I didn't think I would have um, d- a direct access to doing so mm. while still being a doctor. So Right, literally right before I um, graduated undergrad, my last semester of my senior year, I learned about public health by my physics professor. And Hmm. I did my research, applied to a bunch of master's programs, and I got in and I transitioned to the public health space. And so I started off doing health equity and community health um, focus. And I got my master's in public health. And then I randomly transitioned into accreditation. Mm. (laughs) So I worked to accredit public health schools and programs across the world. And I've primarily focused in North America, though. Um, So I have been to Canada. I've been to um, Montreal through that job. Yeah, I used to travel a lot. And in that work, I did a lot of consulting and working with leaders like chancellors and executive directors and program managers 
and presidents of universities to help them um, diversify their recruitment and retention of faculty members, their research mm. practices. And there was a little bit of financial equity involved in that as well. And a lot of like organizational audits and like climate assessments, that kind of thing. So I, I really got my, my start out in the diversity, equity and inclusion space early on. And I mm. didn't even realize it. Um, and I also helped to create some of the cultural competence requirements for accreditations for public health schools and programs. So I did that for a while. And then in the midst of doing that, I started my doctoral program. So I was working full time and going to school full time. And I that is the full pivot into the diversity, equity, inclusion space. Mm. I did my research on um, the experiences of Black women in corporate spaces and how organizations can use a lens of intersectionality to create safer, safer workspaces for Black women. And after that, I started consulting first and I worked with Save the Children to build out their first ever three-year DEI strategy. And then after that, wow. I transitioned to NIH and I had two separate roles there. First was to diversify women's health research and the people doing women's health research. Then I transitioned to lead um, DEI strategy development for Black employees. And this is at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it was a lot going on. The vaccine was being produced at the NIH. So it was very hectic, but it was like the height of my career. I really enjoyed um, that role. And then after that, I transitioned to Goodwill, where I led um, I was the DI director there and led strategy development for them and worked with over 150 different Goodwill CEOs to help infuse DI into their retail stores. And I also worked with the DI um, council through Goodwill Industries International. And then I decided to go full time on my own. And that's when I dove headfirst into DSRD Consulting, my consulting firm. And since then, we've done a lot of great work. We've we've partnered with other change makers and DI leaders across companies like Meta, AWS, Intel, Microsoft, Credit Karma, Uniswap, um, Noom, Typeform, over a hundred different companies, and help them help the DI leaders to create DI strategies and um, create more equity and processes for the companies that they work. And I also developed an app called DI Offload for DI leaders and those working in HR who intersect with DI work to prioritize and center their mental health. And so that's where I am personally. I am building out my life to be centered around ease and rest and not work. <laughs> so my work life fits into my personal life and not the other way around. And I've done that through creating a lot of systems and processes and automating a lot of things. So I use a lot of tech and automation to help me do that. And so that's professionally. Personally, as you mentioned, when we first got started, yeah. I was late diagnosed with um, autism at the end of 2022. And since then, I've been on, on this journey of learning how autism shows up for me and what types of accommodations I need and learning how to unmask because I'm really good at it. <laughs> Over the years, I've had to perfect that. And so it's really hard to kind of take that mask off and just show up as my authentic self. So doing things like getting comfortable with asking for what I need and asking for my accommodations and owning that and, you know, 
just even recognizing that I do have a disability and and mm-hmm. that's not a thing. It's not a dirty word. It's okay. It just means that I need additional support in different areas. And so that's the journey I've been on personally. And it's also influenced what I do professionally. So um, setting things up in terms of like my rates and the types of clients I work with and the systems that we have and how our business is operated to make sure that it's accommodating of not only me, but everyone that we interface with. So that's a little bit about me. Holy crow. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot. <laughs> yeah, I just, I was just, I was just listening to uh, uh interview you did with, uh, was it DEI in five? Oh, um, yes. Adriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, she was equally sort of blown away by sort of your, your the activities that you do and the and, and, and sort of the pots you've got your hands in and uh, I mean I don't understand how you're doing all that but at the same time building in ease and rest so I'm hoping we can kind of <laughs> take, take that apart as, as we go along but there's there's a whole lot of like cool places you've kind of been in here like I, I totally get the, the piece around sort of your initial kind of you wanted to be a doctor and then realize you know you probably wouldn't have a lot of opportunities to make change it's usually do- doctors are usually not the ones that are sort of in charge of designing systems for themselves. And so, you know, it would probably be a long time in a career before you'd be able to make a difference. And and, and I, I feel the same way. I, I'm often find myself in roles where I'm, you know, I, I need to be in the place where I can, I can move the systems around and change things because they're just not working. And it's so frustrating to sort of be stuck in that system forever and ever. So I can totally see how you kind of, kind of shifted into that. DEI is, is such a, uh, such a weird thing to me. I I I I I think in part because, you know, with I know DEI sort of has been around for a long time, and there's been a lot of sort of you know DEI you know, sort of approaches and you know, things built into HR, and there's different certifications, and there's all these different things, and 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 sort of post George Floyd, you know, I think there's been a lot more um, demand for DEI services and and those sorts of things. But it always seems like there's there's maybe there's there's like a new certificate or, or 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 a new course or a new way to sort of you know be you know quote unquote I'm, I'm here doing air quotes but I realize that cameras are off um, uh, to, to do sort of di your training doesn't seem like something that would take someone in the direction of dei like you've got a degree in in public health which maybe. That in of itself, I don't really know a whole lot of. I, I interviewed someone recently who who's doing a doctorate in, in sort of uh, um, uh, behavioral health, which I don't know if that's okay. related or not. Well, maybe you could just, I, I wouldn't mind knowing a little bit about sort of how, how you sort of went from public health to DEI and, 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 and sort of how, how does one become a DEI sort of expert or is, is that even a thing? That's a really good question. So I'll start with the last question you asked. How does mm. someone become a DI expert? Yeah. So I don't believe that you can be an expert in DEI. Mm. And I think I think you can have a lot of experience doing different aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion work. Yeah. Yes. And you can be a subject matter expert, but I don't think that's synonymous with just generalizing and saying you're an expert, period. Mm, mm. Um, And I think why there's so much confusion around DEI is because people still don't really understand what DEI is. Mm. As you said, post-George Floyd, 
the acronym just sort of blew up and became mm -hmm. very trendy. Mm -hmm. And that happened really, really fast without the education and awareness to back it up. Yeah. So people are just going based off what they see in the headlines and what they see on social media. But diversity, equity, and inclusion work started way back in the 60s, really. Mm. In fact, probably before that, it just wasn't called DEI. And when it started to get popular, it was just called diversity and inclusion. Mm. And it's only been a few years, I want to say since like 2017, maybe, where people started adding equity into mm. the acronym. And so the foundation of DEI work is just making sure that people have equitable access to resources and that there are people from different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, different intersecting identities that have access to different spaces. Mm. That's all that is. And making sure they feel safe and included. That's all mm. it is. Mm. And that can be applied in any any sector, any industry, any type of um of work role anywhere. Even even in your home, like it's just literally making sure that people are safe, supported and accommodated and are being treated fairly and mm. that not just one particular type of person mm. safe, supported and are being treated fairly. That's what DEI is. And so to answer your question about how can someone get into the DEI space, if you ask a lot of people who've been doing this work a while, they all say they did, they kind of just fell into this role. Mm. And mm. yeah, it's true. There's no linear path because we don't really have any formalized training. So like you can't, now they're starting to make certificates and like different degrees for mm. diversity, equity, and inclusion. But before there was no school you could go to or no right. class to take. There, there are aspects of courses that can train you to do this work. So like anything in... um. What is the what is the major? It's escaping me. Like like Public human health. resources or kind of, but not mm. quite. Mm. Um no, I wouldn't even say human resources, no, because mm. they human resources are created to protect the company and to <laughs> funnel employees into the company. Mm. They also need additional training so that they can be fair, accommodating, and equitable in their practices. Mm. So I would say HR. Um, sociology, that's what it mm. is. Um, yes, aspects of sociology, because you learn about human behavior and the historical aspects of like how societies are built and how rules are created and policies are developed. And you can see and learn about oppression and marginalization and how that impacts the way people are able to show up in society and the type of access they get. Same thing with public health, um, especially health equity, because folks live on the margins. They don't have access to certain types of resources, which right. impact their physical health and their mental health. And so it's all intertwined and integrated. So there's, there's, um, different types of concentrations in college that you can take up so that you can have theoretical and educational training to do this type of work, which is absolutely necessary. Absolutely important. You have to understand what marginalization means and what oppression looks like and not from a recent perspective, but a very strong and rich historical context because it definitely influences all of our in infrastructure, regardless of if you're in the U.S. or outside of the U.S., um, colonization impacts everybody. So 
Yeah, that's that's a mouthful. <laughs> How I got into it, though, personally, yeah. it stemmed from just my passion of equity. Mm. Um, I've always wanted to see people who have been under-resourced or don't have access to the things that they need get access to those things. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to become an OBGYN. I wanted to help um, younger women who are under-resourced and don't have support to make sure they have safe pregnancies and safer health outcomes. And so that passion just... If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to go to www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop and enter the three secret words. The first secret word is offload. Uh, snowballed. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, like you said, there, there's no really sort of direct path to it. So, you know, even, even you know, so your own story about kind of how you got, got into this is going to be different than someone else's story. Um, you know, I don't want to get into this too much because I know we don't have a lot of time, but it is a bit overwhelming when you start to see all these certifications and 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 sort of consultants out there. Like there are a lot of DEI consultants out there now, which I think is great. And there's a lot of and a lot of them are really busy. I mean, I know my company um, uh, is working with a group that it took us almost a year, you know, to even get on, you know, sort of get on their on the docket as for them to provide services because they were doing so well. And I, and I love that. Um, but at the same time, it seems like when when there isn't any kind of sort of, and maybe this is, you know, and it may, as I say this, maybe this is sort of just my colonial sort of influence brain kind of saying this, that I that I have this belief that one needs to go through, you know, the, the, the college and, and university and graduate level degrees in order to be qualified to, you know, do whatever it is they're doing. Um, and I'm sort of thinking, you know, one has to have that pathway in order to sort of, you know, be good at that. But the, I, I think, but I think it seems like even though this DEI, like you said, has been around, well, D, the D and the I have been around since the 60s and the equity really only kind of came into place, you know, recently uh, that that there are just so many players now and, 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 and it's so hard to sort of, um, um you know, go through the weeds to sort of find somebody. It's like, it seems like for you, your work has just sort of come out of the relationship you've built in some of your other roles. You're doing a lot of accreditations. You've met a lot of really, you know, influential, powerful people in a lot of different organizations. Um, it's certainly working for the NIH and, and, and Save the Children and Goodwill, other really big, you know, kind of companies um, has, has really kind of, you know, probably paved the path for you and, 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 kind of built your credit as it were um um, um as a DEI consultant but how, how do you sort of um um how do you sort of sell yourself as a DEI consultant when there's so many players in the market and that's a good question so how do I stand out from everyone yeah <laughs> um to be quite honest with you I just talk about what I know so everything that I've been talking to you about so far I just talk about that publicly and I just show up as myself. Mm. And for me, I do have not only the experience, but the educational background to back up everything that I'm saying. So my doctoral research was in areas related to 
diversity, equity, inclusion, specifically mm. corporate spaces. So I have doctoral level research doing that. I'm also a black mm. woman intersecting identities. So you mentioned earlier about um, being having credentials and you know the mindset of like you go to school, you get certified, mm. you get all these degrees, and that is what proves that you know what you're doing. Yeah. And we don't really have that quite yet in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Um, I, I do want to say that lived experience is also very important because if you've never experienced what it feels like to be marginalized and oppressed, you cannot be an expert on that. You There's no way for you to hmm. truly empathize if you have not had that experience. You can learn about it and yeah. you can have educational awareness and you can share that education with other people. But you also need lived experience, in my opinion, mm. to truly be a subject matter expert on that. Yeah. Um, because for, I'll use um, someone with a disability, for example. If you have never been disabled, you cannot talk about what it's like to have a disability. You can say what other people have told you and you can repeat other people's experiences, but you don't know what that feels like. So... I would say lived experience weighs just as much as having educational experience hmm. um, and how I stand out. Like I said, I just show up as myself. Yeah. I have a unique experience because I have so many intersecting identities mm -hmm. and I have four degrees. I have a lot of schooling. So I know a <laughs> lot of different things <laughs> and I have had a lot of different types of lived experiences. So couple all of that together, that gives me a unique um perspective and way yeah. I show up in this space and then I also one of my special interests is systems and process building and optimization so that is a very unique spin and twist on doing this type of work so I just show up as myself that's the short answer yeah 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 no that makes a lot of sense in that can you tell me a bit about sort of what with all the things you kind of had going on what made you seek out an autism diagnosis and and then kind of um how how uh, now yeah, that you have question. that how that's kind of changed so, the way you do your work in 2022 there were a lot of major life events and I was already experiencing burnout I which what I thought was just work-related burnout because I mean all the things that I told you earlier that's a lot of stuff to do in a short amount of time mm. And I just thought I had regular <laughs> burnout. And then I started noticing that I just didn't feel like myself. I would look back to like 2019, the 2019 version of myself and the things I had the capacity to do and the thing, my passions and my, what I desired to do were different. And I just was different. And I thought it was um, just, you know, the pandemic was a lot. People died. I had personal deaths around me and a lot of life transitions happened at a very fast rate wow. without the time for me to process. So I thought it was just those things. And mm. I was trying to figure it out. And a friend of mine has ADHD and they were doing some research on executive dysfunction. And mm. somehow a clip of autism mm. was in that research because I was, I had never heard of, executive functioning or dysfunction before so I was genuinely curious about it I started like right. looking into it more and then I came across a, a clip about autism I'm like wait a minute this is describing me <laughs> 
And so I kept on doing research on it. I'm like, wow, this is explaining a lot of how I've been feeling and why I feel the way that I feel. And so I self-diagnosed at first. And then at the time I told my therapist and I told her why I looked at the DSM-5. Mm. I know there's a, a more recent version, but the, at the time it was DSM-5, I looked at um the different mm. uh, qualifications for autism diagnosis. And there's a creator on TikTok, her name or their name is uh, Devin's. Um, I think just Devin. I can't remember the full handle, but they did a video about mm. explaining the different um, yeah. categories uh, for diagnosis for autism in DSM-5. And I watched it and I, I mm. evaluated myself mm. essentially. And I was, I'm able to go back to my childhood and remember a lot of things from probably like the age of seven, maybe. And they mm. all just check the boxes, every single yeah. one of them. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> mm. And so, you know how TikTok works. The more you look at something mm -hmm. that changes your algorithm. And so now all the, all the autism videos were <laughs> on my For You page and everything just kept, I kept relating to all of it. Yeah. And then I, I got a formal diagnosis uh, through an, a therapist who specialized in um, adults with autism, autistic adults. And yeah, she confirmed the diagnosis. And since then, it's just, it's been like an eye opener. It just, it feels like I could finally breathe kind of, it's like a catch 22. Like, yeah. yes, I could finally sigh a deep relief. Like, wow, I wasn't, I wasn't losing my mind. Like I was actually, everything I thought was going on was actually going mm. on but then you're like wait that means that the reason why I couldn't do x y or z is because of this and so there's a lot of grief that goes through being diagnosed especially in adulthood mm. because you realize the ways in which you didn't have the support that you needed the mm. ways in which you weren't accommodated and just how life could have mm. been so much simpler if you had those things so there's some grief but now I think and there's no end point to the grief because the more you learn, the more you retroactively think back and kind of process. Um, so I think now I'm in a, a good space. Yes. And so I have the capacity now to evaluate my life, how it is now and realize that I have been very burnt out and not just in the, in the typical burnout way. There's something called autistic burnout. And some of the folks mm -hmm, in the autism mm -hmm. community have been saying like, we don't even need to call it yes. burnout because burnout doesn't even encapsulate exactly how we feel and what it, how it impacts our livelihood and our day to day. And so, yes, I am navigating mm. very extreme burnout. And so I have taken a step back from work and to do so, I had to kind of push through the burnout and recreate additional systems that are automated and just revamp my services and create new processes that allow me to take breaks that minimizes the amount of conversations I have because one-on-one -on -one conversations, especially long ones, ones where I think critically take a lot of energy out of me and I need mm. time to like decompress and regroup. So taking all of those things into considerations, I've um, adjusted the type of services we offer, how I work, what my schedule is like, um, infuse a lot of time for rest and downtime into my schedule. And I have told current clients and everyone on my email list that I'm taking, I'm going on an extended leave 
don't have an end date for that. I just need time and space to mm. literally recover from burnout. And so I've been not doing much <laughs> and just trying to heal yeah. and just exist and not try to overwork myself anymore. So it's been a huge uh, turning point in my life, actually, just figuring out ways in which I've been overstimulated and under accommodated and trying to provide those accommodations to myself. Mm. I love that. And, and I can, I can relate on, on a few levels there. I, I also had a recent, uh, uh, just a couple of years ago, well, 2019 got an ADHD diagnosis. The second secret word is autism. And I've been doing the same as far as sort of reflecting on my past. And, and I, I, I never really sort of labeled it as, it as grief, but it, it makes sense. I, right. I think that's what it is. is as far as sort of, you know, what I missed out on, you know, in terms of therapy at the same time, ADHD, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't go on lithium as a child. Um, um, Cause that's, that's where I would have ended up. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 50. Yeah. So I, I would have had some of the, the sketchier old medications, I think, uh, put into me, which could have been, a, you know, a, another experience for sure. Um, but at the same time, I've, I've got, a, I've got a friend right now visiting from from my my uh, teenage days that I haven't seen in in in, in almost twenty five years, and and he's bringing up all these stories of of uh, things we used to do a, a, as mm. youth. I don't remember any of them. Um, uh, no, not one detail. And he's he's reciting them in detail. That's sort of a symptom of that kind of executive functioning kind of issue I'm having. And so I get what you're saying. At the same time, I'm also. You know, it's funny you say you you you, you want to have you need to you can't have long sustained conversations because they stress you out. I'm actually I'm a little stressed out by our conversation today because you put a limit on me, um, uh, which I which I appreciate. I think you're doing a great job setting those boundaries. But I ra I ramble and 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 go on tangents as you probably can already tell. And so I often need more than an hour to do a podcast. Um, so this 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 is a bit of extra work for me, but I appreciate it. I, I need it. I, I I need to have some of these limits kind of set on me as well. Um, but you know, it it does it does you know a, a, a lot of what you say resonates, and and I'd like to hear kind of about. Um, um, I think first off, it's it's interesting being sort of self-employed versus you know working for a company. I think it's very difficult um, uh, from what I've seen from talking to sort of neurodivergent colleagues that um, it's very difficult to sort of convince an employer, you know, that you need accommodations for these things mm -hmm. because. I think a lot of folks still don't even know what they are um, and what they really mean. I think autism has, you know, in, in itself has, you know, has a certain sort of image in people's minds of, fo of folks that it kind of might be more severely or profoundly or whatever the term you want to use affected. Um, folks are, you know, there's there's some belief that even, you know, mm -hmm. autism in some way has become you know, part of pop culture, um, you know, because we're starting to see a lot more folks kind of like yourself that sort of present, you know, you know, and, th and this is the masking you were referring to, you know, present as kind of neurotypical, you know, through masking behaviors. And so, uh, you know, and so it makes which makes it sort of even harder, I think, for employers to kind of, um, you know, for employees and employers to kind of have those conversations. Um, I, but and so I can totally see how as, as, as someone who's self-employed, it, it, it's probably been maybe somewhat easier for you to kind of put those accommodations in place for yourself. I like to hear about kind of what those accommodations are and 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 kind of how you've put those into place. Um, and then maybe think about sort of 
folks that are listening who may be employers um, about how they can sort of provide accommodations. And related to that, what your thoughts are on sort of the provision of accommodations, should the provision of accommodations require these folks to, you know, disclose their diagnoses? Yeah, really good question. So just to make sure that I have everything, the first question is, um, mm -hmm. what type of accommodations do I provide for myself? And yes. then recommendations for employers to provide accommodations for folks who are autistic in the workplace. And then thirdly, yeah. should employees have to disclose their disability? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first question, the types mm -hmm. of accommodations I provide for myself. So funny enough, before I even knew that I was autistic, I... Yeah. I had a business coach who's now my really good friend. Um, she started my mind going about set, uh, creating the type of life you want as an mm. entrepreneur, because that's the point of being an entrepreneur is to get freedom <laughs> and flexibility. Yeah. And so yeah. I started out creating accommodations before I even know, knew I needed them. So what I do now is mm. I don't take meetings on Mondays and Fridays because I noticed by the end of the week, I am spent. My energy levels mm. are so much lower because I've been um, engaging with so many different people. And on Mondays, that's after the weekend. So, and the weekend is when I absolutely do nothing. So to just dive back into work and then have a bunch of meetings, it's kind of like a shock. It's like jumping into an ice bath for me. So I need to like slowly mm. ease into the work week. Um, I do have meetings with my team. So like the people who support me, um, but outside of that, because I, I work with them, so I'm used to talking to them, but outside of that, I don't have mm. any like client meetings on Mondays. Um, I also allow my body to wake up when it wants to. And I found that mm. my body wakes up a little bit later. Um, and so I just make my work schedule align with that. I also found that waking mm. up with an alarm clock, it jumps me out of my sleep, which makes me start off mm. the day overstimulated already because I'm not regulated. Mm. I'm like frantic. Mm. And it's like starting off your day with anxiety. Um, yeah. So I don't do that anymore. And my body's gotten accustomed. Like it's in a routine now. And yeah. I also track my menstrual cycle and adjust my schedule based on that because I know one when, when that happens there's a lot of emotional and hormonal things that happen to those who have periods that the world doesn't really know because we don't talk about it that much it's yep. very taboo yep. but there are a lot of emo emotional and hormonal things that happen and that influences the level of um energy and bandwidth you have to function and so i know that i don't have as much energy so i can't do the mm. same amount of things that i've i've been doing at the other moments of the month. So in that mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. I schedule less meetings. I may just take off for that, those few days. Um, what else do I do? I also meal prep my breakfast in the morning so that I'm not having to make a bunch of decisions. So hmm. one of the things for me with being autistic is having to make a lot of decisions all the time. Because for me, it's not just picking something. Like I'm very strategic. So I think mm -hmm. about all the steps involved, what the possible outcomes are. It's kind of like a computer where you have to like um, go through each scenario and possible outcome and then select the best one. That's how my brain works. Mm -hmm. And so I can't just mm -hmm. pick something. Uh, 
Hmm. And I have to do that for, I'm an entrepreneur. So I have a bunch of other business decisions I have to make all day, every day. So then to think about what to eat, I have to think about the steps involved to cooking the food. I have to go get the food, make the grocery list, come back, cook the food, clean the dishes, and then eat. And those are a lot of steps for me. So if I can minimize that hmm. down and take out some of that, I, I do that by meal prepping my breakfast. And I do overnight oats because that's just easy. It's the same Every yes. week, pop it in the fridge, put it in the microwave and it's done. I feel full. I know exactly what I'm going to get and it's fine. I like it. <laughs> That's the other thing people with autism have um, or autistic folks have um, comfort food. So things that they like to eat that um, taste good and they can rely on it. They know that they're going to like it. They don't have to think about what they want to eat. So oatmeal for breakfast is one of those for me. Um, so I do that during the work week. On the weekends, I actually make breakfast. Um, what else do I do? I don't have any lights on um, when I work. That's something mm. employers can adapt. Having the fluorescence lights can be very overstimulating for some autistic folks. Uh, also, mm. being comfortable with wearing noise-canceling headphones. Some folks, yeah. like me, I can hear every single thing. Like right now, I could hear my AC blowing. Not the actual... HVAC unit, but the coming yeah, yeah. out of the vents, I can hear that. So just imagine if I can hear those little things to listen to people talk, to listen to people walking by and they like go through their book bags, they shuffle stuff on their desk. It's just a lot of input. So that can be yeah. overstimulating. Um, so that's why some autistic folks wear headphones um, and also having flexibility in their work schedule. So some people's uh, rhythm and their body rhythms, they prefer to work later, like at night and sleep all day. And that's just how their bodies work and have being forced to stick to a schedule that goes against that is another way that you are expending mm. more energy than you have. And then if you throw masking on top of that, there's just little layered things that people have to do to contort to systems that don't work for them. So just granting mm. flexibility in that way and also giving space for people to work um, quietly. And so you know how um, people who uh, have to nurse and pump milk, they have a separate room. Right. I'm not saying like, all people yep. who are autistic need a whole separate room, but having spaces that are like quiet zones for people who need to focus. Mm. Cause I'm pretty sure people with ADHD also need areas to focus where they're not being overstimulated. Yes. So it's not just people with autism, anybody, some people just might need quiet. <laughs> so those are some things. Um, and when I say flexibility and work schedule, that looks like being focused on outputs and not um, how someone does work. And I know like yes. seasons, you got to track hours, maybe depending on the type of employees you have. Um, but working with uh, middle managers to make sure you create like a, a checklist or a plan of um, like a work plan for people with disabilities yep. so that they have deliverables that they have to deliver by a certain date. And that is what you assess. Not when they clock in mm. and when they clock out, but are they meeting the expectations set out in this work plan? And that gives people more flexibility because like, if you're like, okay, I just need you to be on by these hours because we have like a company meeting or we have a team meeting or whatever, um, that you have to kind of compromise there. 
outside of yeah. that, if they're like, okay, I could sign on for those meetings. But after that, I take off and then I clock back in at like 2 a.m. And I get all my stuff done. And by 9 a.m., you have the deliverables. Mm. That doesn't harm anybody because you're still getting your outcome. The people that sign in at nine still get the stuff that they need. The folks who need accommodations are still present at the meetings that are important. So just thinking about flexibility in that way. And then I had one other thing and I just lost it. Um, I just lost it. Oh, that's camera. okay. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Turning, requ requiring people to always be on camera um, because some folks don't like eye contact. Some folks can't focus. They have to yep. stare at someone else. It's like they're not even listening. They can't process the information. Um, people yep. look away when they're talking because that's just like a, a stimming kind of thing. It helps them calm down. Yep. So being on camera is not always ideal. And outside of people with disabilities, there are people who have um, living environments that aren't optimized to be on camera. And yes, they could put a background on. But if they don't have like a computer desk and they can't afford to buy one, they're just on their couch with the laptop in their lap and then they have to look down and yeah. it's all awkward. So flexibility in those types of areas. Think about, I would encourage mm. employers to think about what are the outcomes? What would be successful? What does success look like for them? And how can they track that success? Because that is the ultimate goal. That's it. That's all you need to be. The second secret word is autism. The third secret word is overnight. Be, uh, care about. Mm -hmm. That's what helps you accomplish the mission and keep your bottom line in the green. <laughs> um, and then the last question in terms of employees having to disclose their disability status, no. I yeah. tell folks all the time, you don't have to say, oh, I'm autistic. Because again, same thing with DEI. People don't really understand what autism means they don't know what that means so if you say that right. they're they're only gonna respond based on their level of awareness and who have yes. biases and they will respond with those biases and then it can also be harmful for the person because if the person if the person you're talking to only has negative um ideologies around autism then they're gonna say something that's yes. very ableist and that triggers you and you're all sad yep. your emotions are dysregulated and you can't even function properly so it's it's not always safe or helpful and i tell you to just yeah. ask for your accommodations just explain exactly what you need and why you need it you don't have to say because i'm autistic mm -hmm. you just say um is it possible I'm just going to say wearing sunglasses because that's just the easiest thing I could think of. Is it possible sure. if I wear shades because the fluorescent lights really affect my eyes? And I know we can't turn the lights off for everyone, but these types of shades really help me. Doesn't mean that I'm not paying attention or I'm over yeah. or something. It just helps me focus on my screen. It makes me be more efficient when I'm doing my work and I can work faster. That's all you have to say. You don't have to say because I'm autistic and the lights bother me. You just ask for exactly yeah, what you need yeah. and how it helps you to do your job effectively. Because unfortunately, that's what employers only care about that I've, I've, I've noticed mm -hmm. is how you do your job mm. to the best of your ability. So say, yeah. I need this so I can do my job to the best of my ability. And that's what I encourage. I love, I love that. I love that. Everything you're saying. And, and I really like something I really like that. I think everything can make sense. And, and, and I think just it's really then about sort of 
you know, maybe as a supervisor or whatever, or, um, you know, how can we sort of encourage our, our employees to sort of, you know, articulate their needs in, in, you know, in, in, you know, in an objective kind of manner, then yeah, they should all be able to kind of, kind of get what they want. I, I also really like your point. And I think this is, we're seeing this more and more as more, you know, it's not just sort of self-employed folks, but more and more folks are working from home. I'm working from home. Um, and, uh, and so thinking about sort of, accommodations you can create for yourself to sort of you know set up your day to be the most effective it is the the over the overnight notes really rings true I'm, I'm a big overnight notes fan myself and and you're right it, it, it makes a huge difference to, to sort of make a big batch overnight oats on the weekend and just have little little servings through the week that you just throw in the microwave i love doing that i i because of my medication i have to have a a really big meal and so i you know it it often that often involves a lot of vegetables i'm vegan and so um on Sundays, uh, I'll, I'll chop up all the veggies for the week and, and have them all ready. So it's a it, it, it's a quick go. S same with the everything you said just resonates with my day. I don't I don't I can't do alarm clocks. Yeah. I get up when I get up. I start I, I make sure my day doesn't start till nine because I know I'm going to be up before that. And uh, and, and there's and, and, and I find my sleep is so much better now that I'm not sort of worried about missing the alarm or missing that appointment those sorts of things so i really just love love all those pieces you're putting in just reflective of so we only have a few minutes left one, one thing i like about your organization is um it, with your consulting company is that it, it it looks like you've kind of shifted well you do provide ser dei services of course and consultation for folks but you're also now really providing services for other practitioners in the DEI space yeah. um uh, because there there is there can be a lot of burnout there there can I mean as, as you said earlier it's often folks that are in those marginalized kind of uh, that, that have those kind of marginalized identities that end up working in this space because it has so much sort of personal right. meaning but at the same time, and I've had I've done a lot of interviews with folks where they're like the only, for example, using you know sort of let's let's use black as sort of the the the, the identity as because it's sort of more visible, being the only black individual in that workspace who's also doing the DEI work, and so you're in in some ways you're almost your role is to provide a is to sort of create sort of systems that support yourself, which can be really hard and, and can really kind of create a lot of burnout. I'd love to hear about some of the things you're doing including the, especially this app you've created um uh, to sort of um help other DEI practitioners um um uh, you know sort of sort of do their jobs better and 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 reduce burnout for themselves yeah so um i'll start with DI offload I'll start with DI yeah. offload because that was the last thing you said so i kind of worked backwards so the idea behind DI Offload is, as I mentioned earlier, the DI space is fairly new. It didn't happen post-George yeah. Floyd. It didn't start post-George Floyd. It's been around for a few years, yeah. but how it how we show up in the space now is fairly new. And the George Floyd, after that, created a increase in burnout and compassion fatigue from everyone doing this work. And there right. hasn't been a lot of care and resources for other DEI practitioners. And so I created DI Offload for a place, to be a place that's centralized, that allows us to come together 
and share our experiences, get support from each other, and then get access to resources. So we have a lot of folks who've been doing this work for 20 plus years. They have a lot mm. of wisdom and insight and best practice tools and resources that they can share with some of the newer mm. folks. Because like I said, we don't really, there's no school to like house all of these things. There are people who come up with their own certificates and stuff, but that it's, it's not centralized, it's not streamlined. And it's very siloed. And so that's what DI offload is for. And the prioritization is mental health because I did a study in 2021 with over 280 DI practitioners across the world. They're at different levels of their career, different types of roles and different um, levels of compensation. And resoundingly, everyone said they needed more mental health resources to do this work. Um, and so that is why mental health was the center of developing DI offload. And, uh, we've hired, um, licensed therapists to facilitate monthly wellness sessions that function sort of like group therapy. And cool. we're trying to, um, create more flexibility in that because people are already burnt out and overwhelmed. So having to like schedule additional meetings outside of work, can be a lot for folks. So we're trying to create um, more autonomy and flexibility in that area. So hiring coaches who are licensed uh, therapists and psychologists who offer like coaching sessions yeah. who can opt yeah. in and schedule them whenever they want. And I also started this mental health series that's um, a weekly email series that's free. It's on our website that and you could sign up whenever you want. And it's just little tidbits of suggestions and things to keep in mind and think about in terms of mental health while doing DEI work so that mm. folks can start to set healthy boundaries and um, create more space for rest, taking time off and kind of detaching from this work and not let it consume you. So yeah. that's what DEI yeah. offload is all about. I think you had another question, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I saw you had a, another um and maybe it wasn't related to to sort of burnout with DEI with oh, the DI folks, but you have you, yes, yes, thank you. Yes. So DI blueprint that is more professional um, support. So the okay. program is designed to help people who have been tasks tasked with developing three year DEI strategies for their companies. It mm. provides templates, tools, resources, and like support to help folks navigate that process. So mm. I told you when I um, started consulting, I developed like Save the Children's first uh, DEI strategy and I've just done yeah. a bunch of DEI strategy development and I've gotten really good at it. And so that process that I have created for myself is what I use to build out DEI Blueprint. I just teach people that. And I've created templates to organize all of the information better. So when you do like a DEI audit, there are different aspects of a company you're supposed to evaluate. It's not just doing a survey. Well, not the way I do it. I am very um, holistic mm. and very specific in and thorough in the types of audits that I do. Because if you want the change to be sustainable, sustainable and at an operational level, so like being embedded in how the company functions, you kind of have to be holistic. You can't just do a survey. So things like that. There are templates for an actual survey, templates and checklists for like how to do 
um, what types of data to review, how to review the data and assess it and how to turn those into the components of the strategy. There's even like a communications plan so that you can communicate the changes you're making. And it kind of talks people through the change management process so that the DEI efforts that are being created aren't just thrown at employees without that awareness and level of education because people people are going to feel blindsided and they're going to be confused and going to know like, why are we doing this? What, what does this have to do with my job, et cetera? So there's a, a lot of layers involved in developing a strategy. It's not as simple as here are some goals. This is what I think you need to do because everyone else is doing it. That's not effective and it's not sustainable. So I just teach people how to do that. <laughs> and we've actually yeah, right on. We've re recently revamped it so that again, I told you my personal life has drastically implemented, uh, affected how <laughs> stuff runs in the company. So yeah. DI Blueprint to be even more flexible and autonomous so people can pop in, pop out. There's more um, fi financial flexibility. So for people who can't get sponsored by their employer, they have more accessibility and payment plans and that kind of stuff. So just increasing the level of accessibility for folks. Cool, that's awesome. So what, uh, obviously, there, you've already talked about uh, a bit of an extended leave, which is great. What what, what does, any, any sort of future things to look forward to with uh, DSRD? Um, I don't, sorry, I'm not sure yet. I am <laughs> using this time away to kind of yeah. recalibrate. <laughs> Because yep. I've I've realized that to navigate and recover from burnout, you can't just go back into the systems that were already in place because you're just going to burn out mm, again. Yes. So I need to figure yes. out exactly what aligns with who I am now and where I am in this stage of my life. Um, right. I did recently send out an email to the email list telling everyone of some new services that I think will be more in alignment with where I am for 2024 nice. and one of them. So I'll still be doing consulting, but the processes yep. behind the scenes is what's has, is what has changed and the area of focus. It's not as broad as just DEI. It's more aligned yeah. with like accommodations and people providing accommodations for people with disabilities, specifically neurodiverse folks um, and process and system optimization. So thinking through, a company or organization's operational processes and making sure those are equitable and accessible. So for example, how you recruit and retain employees, is that ex accessible mm. to everyone? And is that equitable yeah. for the folks who need additional support? That's right. just one example, but there are a bunch of other processes involved in running a company. So just streamlining those and making sure they're optimized in that way. And then the, so that's the consulting and then train the, the train the trainer intensive. It's one-on-one. -on -one, um, it's a one-on-one -on -one intensive with me where we kind of come mm. up with a personalized um treatment plan, if you will. I don't I don't like mm. the word treatment plan because it sounds very clinical yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. But yeah, for yeah, lack yeah. of better words, a, a work plan or a treatment plan um based on what the individual's needs are so if you are autistic and you're like i need to figure out how to accommodate myself um i work from home but i don't know what else to do from there 
we can work together yes. to figure out what works best for you. Or if someone is a DI director and they're like, I'm getting burnt out. I don't know what to do to, to navigate through this. I just need some guidance. I can help them do that. Or if they're like, I'm building out a strategy and I just need someone to like help me through each of the phases as I implement this stuff, someone to bounce ideas off of and give me insights and help me mm. know how to like navigate pushback from the leadership or what to say to leadership or what types of questions to ask or how to get buy-in from all the other employees, that kind of thing. So it there are different niche areas that I provide support in. So burnout, accommodations, and DEI strategy development. And I also help entrepreneurs. So other small business owners who are trying to automate their business processes so that they can have more time to themselves. I also help folks with that. So hmm. that is what is going to be coming in 2024. Um, I have a bunch of other things. I'm not sure how they yeah. will roll out, but I know for certain those two things. That's awesome. And so, and lastly, uh, where, where can folks find you and learn more yeah. about you? So our website is dsrdconsulting.com. Our Instagram yep. page is at DSRD Consulting. And I am on LinkedIn. My name is Samantha, parentheses, Dr. Sam, <laughs> and then mm -hmm. last name Ray. And we do have a business yep. page on LinkedIn as well, DSRD Consulting. So those are the three main channels. That's awesome. Well, super cool stuff you're doing. And uh, we'll definitely share all these resources with folks. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much. You had really great questions. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Cheers.